It's May 4th, 2020. This is Rook. hero is getting a lot of currency these days, and it's hard to tell exactly when and how it should be applied. But surely healthcare workers deserve this appellation given the current global situation. And there are no shortage of people doing important work in healthcare in the Iranian diaspora. But how about a doctor on the front lines of the pandemic in one of the places where it has hit hardest, Paris, who becomes infected with COVID, recovers, and heads straight back to the hospital front lines? Dr. Arshid Azarin joins me today from France on matters and music of the heart. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. to episode number six of Rook. Thank you for joining us. Omidvar hastam ke khub hastin. Shaya, how are you doing? Doing well? I'm great. Good. And, yeah, and I think you have to say Omidvar hastam ke khub bashin. Khub hastin nemishe? Omidvar hastam ke khub bashin. Hastin? Actually, it wasn't wrong, but... Yani... <laughs> 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 Thank you, Shaya, for correcting me one thirty seconds into the show. Uh, we are just two and a half. By the way, if um, you don't understand Farsi, uh, you you missed nothing in that conversation. <laughs> There's nothing you missed, um, except I hope everybody's doing okay out there. Uh, we're just two and a half weeks into this new program, and uh, we we really haven't had the chance or resources to promote it. Uh, just sort of announced it on Facebook, really. But uh, thanks to you guys out there, uh, we've already had over 15,000 streams across our platforms. Uh, a whole lot of people subscribing on YouTube and for our podcast on iTunes, and it's also on SoundCloud and Spotify. So uh, thank you all. Um, we, we still don't have a website ready, but it's coming. I think we said that in the first episode, too. We have a website coming. You know, we'll be saying that in six months from now, but it's coming, really. Uh, also, uh, people are messaging us asking when new episodes are to be anticipated. And I can tell you now that every Monday and Thursday evening, we will drop a new episode. So, And you can call us out if we ever fail to do so. Um, we have booked some really interesting guests for the coming weeks uh, already from all over the world, the global Iranian uh, community. Uh, can't wait to get to that. But most important, let me get to today's guest who really is something special. Take a listen to this. Just a very quick sample of some of the stellar music that comes from the imagination and hands of my guest today. Think of a cardiovascular radiologist, a humanitarian aid organizer, and a professional musician who's a major figure in Persian jazz. Where would you come across these three people together? 
Well, believe it or not, you can meet all three of them in one. The singular Dr. Arshid Azarin. Dr. Azarin directs the cardiovascular imaging unit at the St. Joseph Hospital in Paris, where he's one of the few artificial intelligence specialists working in this field across the globe. With that said, he has most recently been on the front lines of treating patients in the middle of this global pandemic that has hit France particularly hard. But that's not all either. Arshid is a notable musician who's played a significant role in the renewal of Persian jazz since the 1990s. Arshid is the founder of several fusion jazz groups like the Azadin Six or the Arshid Azadin Trio, Labs of Musical Experimentation, Incubators Mixing Modern Jazz, World Poetry, and Unexpected Guests at each performance. He is an Iranian Frenchman who is a truly remarkable specimen and one of those contemporary heroes we've correctly identified during this pandemic. Dr. Arshid Azarin joins me from Paris right now. Hello, Arshid. Hello, Jian. I'm so grateful that you're doing this today to shed some insight for us into your life these days. I can only imagine you, you're overwhelmed with your work and the magnitude of it. So merci, Voran. Merci, merci beaucoup. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for your invitation. It's great uh, being in this podcast with you. Ashid, I, I have to start with what's happening in your, your current home city of Paris. Uh, it's no secret that France has been hit particularly hard by the pandemic, almost 200,000 reported cases, over 25,000 deaths. How, how do you describe what you've witnessed in Paris in the last two months? It was at the beginning like a war, actually. You know, I have been uh, doing some humanitarian medicine in, uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, I was uh, somehow at, uh, in the same conditions in a kind of a war medicine. Uh, the, the difference was that the bullet can also go to the, um, to the doctors, actually, because uh, we were at risk uh, doing yes. our job. You know, this metaphor of war, uh, we, we hear this a lot, you know, uh, from, from doctors to presidents saying, we are at war, we're at war. Uh, yeah. As someone who just drew the metaphor directly to your own experience in Afghanistan, what, what part of it is like war? What, what can you express about what you're doing that feels like that? When you are at, at your house, which is uh, really helpful for the medical care and uh, everything, maybe you don't see the hidden uh, side of this disease in the hospitals. It's quite stressful because you don't know what to touch, what not to touch, and uh, you don't see this enemy everywhere that can come, uh, even you have even mask and everything, and you are doing your job. Uh, there are these droplets, and uh, you discover about this virus every day. Maybe it is airborne, maybe not. And you have a lot of doubts about it. And the feeling of war is that you, you see, like in a war, you have some bullets which go to the heart of some of your colleagues uh, because you had uh, some doctors who died of it or, or also, of course, other people. And you have uh, some who get wounded and then get repaired and go back to the war. Mm -hmm. And others uh, don't have anything and go through all the droplets or the bullets. 
And and we would hear, you know, France was a little ahead of, of North America. I mean, everybody now, even in North America, understands lockdowns and quarantines and wearing face masks. But it was shocking when the news was first coming out of places like uh, Iran and then Italy and then France and Macron was saying no one's allowed to go outside. What was it like or what has it been like? I mean, it's not that it's over in the emergency rooms. Can you describe the in Paris what the atmosphere has been like in there? Uh, um, well, the first part, which was really uh, overwhelmed, it was the, um, the east of France, uh, the cities like Mulhouse and Strasbourg, and uh, uh, really the, this this part of France. Uh, they really had uh, war conditions. I mean, they they had to choose between this and this patient uh, to push to ICU. And uh, when you, as a doctor, you have to do some choices, it's very painful. I mean, it's not really your job to be in this situation to say that, okay, uh, this one is uh, younger than this one. So this one goes, we cannot cure it. And this one goes to ICU. I mean, it's uh, dramatic. So uh, hopefully in Paris, we, uh, we had less this situation thanks to a better preparation and uh, thanks to the transfer of some of the um, people who were sick to other points of uh, Europe or uh, France. And by um, canceling all the other activities of all the hospitals and uh, starting to put all the COVID patients in all the services and transforming uh, a lot of other services into ICUs to be able to cure all the patients in an appropriate way. You're a doctor who who's worked in ICUs and emergency rooms. Uh, you work with other doctors, certainly, I'm sure. You know, uh, doctors, we, we've been calling you heroes, and I think we should call you that. Maybe I'll ask you later how you feel about being called that. But but um, you're, you're also just human beings. Uh, when something like this unprecedented pandemic hits as hard as it has, what were the conversations like with other doctors? Were, were you guys as scared as we would expect you to be? Oh, no, I think it's, um, we try to be, uh, as always, uh, trying to laugh about things and uh, trying to, to cool it down uh, because we, are, uh, we have already the stress which is here. And uh, maybe at the beginning uh, of the outbreak, we were more freaked out all, but now we have to live with this for uh, weeks and months. <laughs> So we try to make fun of uh, a lot of situations and things. Actually, I, I, I'm not directly in ICUs. I'm a cardiovascular radiologist. But as you know, maybe a lot of patients will have a CT scan of the chest uh, because this is the pulmonary lesions is the main point of this uh, disease. So radiology uh, departments are really exposed to these patients anyway. Yes, I was going to ask you, you work in heart-related issues. So I wanted to know how heart-related issues or cardiovascular radiology coincides with COVID-19. Uh, the thing is that uh, all of the doctors are doing COVIDology, I would say, because we have canceled uh, all the rest. Actually, we had canceled all the rest for uh, about one month just to try to cure most of this, the peak of this outbreak. Yes. And ev- everybody was doing COVID and uh, even surgeons were doing some uh, ICU things. And there was uh, also some uh, funny pictures of some radiologists 
uh, saying, please stay at home. Otherwise, I would be the ICU doctor who will cure you. Hmm. And this right. is not my specialty. <laughs> right. Meaning that everybody uh, was uh, involved into this. And if you had some colleagues who were sick or had the disease, then others had to come and replace. And uh, I saw a lot of helpful doctors, dermatologists, ophthalmologists who are not really in this uh, field, but uh, try to help as they could uh, their their colleagues. All hands on deck, as they say. Yeah, all hands on deck. And uh, concerning cardiovascular disease, actually, you have cardiovascular lesions also in this disease, and you can have some problems of the heart, like infection of the heart, and uh, some you know this storm of cytokines, which can uh, also give uh, cardiac injuries. Well, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but because I have so much to ask you, but uh, I've been hearing about young people, younger people, because obviously this this disease hits the, the very old very, very, very hard, but younger people getting a stroke or having heart trouble because of coronavirus. Can you tell us anything about that? Yes, actually, two days ago, I had one, actually, 14 years uh, old boy who had a myocarditis, uh, this infection of the heart by the virus. Actually, it's uh, quite often that we have, even with the influenza, this kind of cardiac uh, legends. We had a lot with the MERS, the coronavirus of the Saudi Arabia, which was also not in Iran. Another thing which is happening Right now, it's uh, the Kawasaki syndrome uh, is a high fever in children that can give also some lesions on the coronary arteries. And uh, they found out that, uh, and the season is uh, actually the spring, and uh, they found out that uh, they have more of these cases right now than in other years. So they... Uh, they are uh, considering that maybe there is an association or something like that happening with uh, the coronavirus. You know, it feels like the implications of this wretched disease are, it feels like every week we learn something new, uh, as if, uh, you know, it's twisting and turning and, and hitting in ways that we hadn't expected, and, and which is quite destabilizing, you know, as, as somebody who doesn't work in your field and kind of just wants to know what's going on. Is there that much lack of information about this that we just, that it keeps transforming itself almost into, into new areas of danger? Ah, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, every day we discover new things about it. And maybe one thing that can excuse the lack of preparation of uh, everybody was that, well, it's a noun noun virus, which is quite uh, <laughs> of high virulence. And we, we, we discover every day new things about it. Arshid, before getting into your extraordinary life and your artistic pursuits, I must ask you about a traumatic experience that impacted you most recently. You yourself became infected with coronavirus. How, how did you first find out and what were your feelings when you realized you'd become infected with the disease you're so desperately trying to help your patients deal with? Well, uh, yes, actually, I had these symptoms that you, you see everywhere. And but at the beginning, you wonder if it is uh, something, you know, some or maybe some influenza or something that's happening to you and you don't want to believe. <laughs> then they became more uh, uh, important and uh, painful. Uh, 
also had some chest pain, which is quite uh, often seen in this disease. And as I was going to the work, I did a CD scan and I saw, well, we saw the, the lesions on my, uh, on my lungs. So the day after I was, uh, I stopped not to infect my colleagues and other patients. Well, at this point, well, you see all these uh, literature and as a doctor, I was seeing all that and all these different things. And you see this, this, uh, this new discoveries and uh, you see the level of the stress Yes. Uh, going <laughs> really high, and uh, which doesn't help the rest of the of your feeling neither to heal. Something very really strange that you see uh, in this disease. It's yeah, this this high uh, level of stress in uh, in sick people, but also in the medical uh, staff, because uh, you uh, when you know that it is a bad enemy or or uh, less. A virulent enemy, but you know it, you know how to deal with it. But when you don't know it, you don't even know if it is something really soft or not. And uh, this ignorance part, it's quite stressful. So how, how badly did you get hit? Did it, uh, I mean, we hear these, oh, we hear uh, about no, the high my, temperature. My, my and mild to moderate in, uh, in two, three weeks, it was uh, gone, but uh, it was very big fatigue and uh, a big um, asthenia. Uh, how do you say that? This. Um, uh, what is uh, it? You're very, very, very tired, actually. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and you don't uh, lo- uh, loss of energy. And. Uh, and you, I, I guess you had, had to. Uh, you had to go into quarantine. Were you Were you being treated in the hospital, or did you just stay home? No, no, no. I stayed home. I stayed home, and that that was uh, really uh, near the peak. So you couldn't go to the hospital for nothing, actually. <laughs> so well, it wasn't nothing. Time, you had uh, you had it, Corona, but <laughs> but I mean that's a quite modest way to put it for nothing. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you, you talk about the stress part. You're, mm. I mean, you're a do- listen. Uh, you, you clearly have a scientific way of answering some of these questions, but you're an artist too. So I'm going to appeal to your emotional side here. <laughs> you're, you're a doctor who, no doubt, has to consider how to help patients with the mental and emotional side yeah. of finding out they've been infected by a disease that the world is now fearing. Mm. What did you tell yourself? How did you cope mentally? Uh, well, uh, I'm quite. A cool person, and uh, everybody knows me as some uh, somebody really um, positive and cool, and mm. uh, and everybody was surprised that I was freaking out at this moment. <laughs> oh, you were freaking out. <laughs> I was. I was. Okay. Uh, I can say yeah. it now, I, but I I don't know exactly why. But uh, I think that the this loss of energy when when you are a little bit weak. And you 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 don't have uh, enough energy also to to be positive. So and I uh, and all these uh, colleagues uh, were sending me new uh, papers, you know, to interesting things, but about the the worst things <laughs> that can happen with <laughs> that wasn't disease. helping, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> could yeah, could you have mentioned to your colleagues <laughs> that you, to stop the emails for a day or two while you recover from COVID nineteen? Uh, did you go to a? Uh, I mean, we we kid now, but I'm I'm so uh, you know Did did you go to a dark place in your mind that this is this could be some kind of you know terminal situation well yeah for for one night i had some uh, doubts and i i was wondering if the morning i will wake up 
uh, that what that happened to me one night. Yeah, I had some symptoms, but that then I did the tests for these things because you know you have a lot of complications with that. The results was good for me, so uh, then objectively I could think that uh, everything is fine, and I have just to wait for this to right. To so, so then you <laughs> recover from COVID nineteen, and and what does Arshidazarin do? You you go right back to the front lines where the the war against mm. the pandemic is still raging and sadly taking many casualties. Uh, uh, tell me about this extraordinary decision. Uh, well, I think that Tom and uh, all my colleagues who had the disease and then cured and uh, they, they went back to the work. And it's quite normal actually to do that because uh, you are needed by some uh, patients that are in uh, the disease or have other uh, cardiovascular disease who can be fatal. Uh, if I don't go there, there's a lack of chance for them. So uh, there's no question of thinking about it. Arshid, no, no one would blame you if you decided to take a break. Where do you, where do you <laughs> find the strength? to go right back. I know you're a doctor. I know this is what you do. I know you're calling. But where do you find the strength to go right back to the front lines? During all this time, I was doing uh, what we call uh, teletravail, which is working from home and things. So I had my assistants and residents uh, working there, and I was seeing the cases from uh, there. And I tried to do it also quite during three weeks, which is quite a good and long time uh, to, to rest. In my department, they were quite cool. They didn't program me really fastly, and I could do this work from home even the fourth week after this. But um, I started really once I had the energy back to my body and feeling good uh, to, to go back to the uh, work. But I, I, I wouldn't frighten people about this uh, situation. I mean, it's it's something that we don't know, but uh, hopefully uh, we will know it better and better and we will win anyway. This is Rook Conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Dr. Arshid Azarin is joining me from Paris, France. So, Arshid, take me... Take me back now to how your very interesting journey has evolved. Like I must say, I I know of you as the amazing piano player who's also a doctor, not the doctor who's also a musician. And and I should say, you're not just a doctor who plays some cover gigs with his friends on the weekend. You're a recording artist with a major career and these incredible jazz chops. This is a fascinating duality. We've just spent half an hour talking about you, uh, talking to you as a doctor. Uh, This is, I mean, you are really the Persian overachiever. (laughs) So, so. How did the, these seemingly parallel careers come together for you? Uh, well, actually, when I was eight and a half or nine, I started piano. Quite at that moment, I, I had a teacher who wasn't really serious, and I asked my parents to go to a, something a little bit tougher and harder <laughs> because I really wanted something. So I had this uh, Armenian piano teacher who was also uh, a halterophile. Uh, how do you say that? Uh, a, uh, a weightlifter. Uh, a weightlifter. Eight, yeah. <laughs> that was indeed a tougher guy. Uh, but he was a Chopinist, mm. uh, and he really transmitted me the, the passion of classical music and, and music. 
At the same time, uh, we were looking at the television with my sister, Dr. Bernard, I think, doing some open heart surgery. And I said, okay, I want to do that. That stayed in my mind even uh, when we had to leave Iran during the hard times of the beginning of the uh, immigration and when even we didn't have any piano. And uh, suddenly, actually, the piano, and uh, which was in the school, became a kind of communication between me and the other French uh, kids and even teachers. And uh, that was uh, normalizing me a little bit uh, in, the, in their eyes. Oh, wow. Did your parents insist on one path or the other? I mean, a lot of Persian parents insist on an academic path before you can get involved in the arts. What, what were your parents like in this regard? Uh, as I wanted myself to do both, I mean, uh, this heart surgery, I think, was always in my mind. They didn't have to, to force me, actually, to, to do things. I, I love this human body uh, anyway. Mm. And I was doing the um, piano also, uh, when I was first a year of medicine, here we passed competition, a concours. And there my parents said, okay, now uh, it's serious, you stop the piano. And I didn't pass the exam, actually. And the, day, the year after, I said, okay, so it's cool anyway. I, I maybe won't have it. So I started to do some concerts, and I did some concerts, and I passed. And I and I told myself, so maybe I have to do both at the same time. Maybe it's, there is a... Uh, kind of a, equilibrium of me, the other helping, I mean, helping each other. You know, this duality of, of you doing the, the music and the medicine uh, uh, um, seems so unique. And yet, when I started looking into it, uh, there's actually kind of a, it's not that ajib. You know, there's a, there's a, tr a tradition of this. I've been reading that according to ancient and medieval Persian medical traditions, Having a yes. commanding knowledge of music was a prerequisite in becoming a, a, a tabib, a, a doctor. So these medical mm -hmm. pioneers like Muhammad uh, Zakaria Razi, uh, one of the greatest names in medieval Persian medicine in the ninth century, was sure. also a musician. Do you yes, know yes. about this? And, and sure. when did the realms of music and medicine start to diverge from each other then? Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, I always loved this humanist tradition we are uh, all these things are uh, part of a whole. We are uh, in this modern world uh, have to be very specialized. Uh, if you like it, so do it. <laughs> and mm. about music and medicine, yeah, it's a whole big uh, discussion. And uh, traditionally, you had it in the south of Iran a lot. Uh, still now, it, uh, all this tradition of czar is kind of music therapy. Uh, you had it in the south of Italia with this uh, La Taranta, and uh, also in Africa a lot. Uh, there are uh, many articles uh, in very serious uh, journals of medicine it, it, between the beat, the heartbeats, and the rhythms of African music. And um, mm. but that's true today too, isn't it? Isn't it true that there's operating rooms and hospitals now that offer classical music as an option for the surgeon and patient? Uh, in some of hospitals, yeah, yeah, they do that. Sometimes very seriously with trying to replace, uh, not to replace, but to lighten the anesthesia. A lot of, of my colleagues love jazz. They, they operate only with jazz music or with classical music or with uh, the music they like, I guess. Maybe, maybe not the heavy metal on the... <laughs> on the 
<laughs> there's nothing wrong with some hat. There's nothing wrong with some metal in the middle of a heart uh, heart surgery. <laughs> Just play some Sabbath. And, yeah. uh, so I don't want to be crude about this, but is it fair to say music can heal? Oh yes, yeah. uh, it really does. It really does. It's another way to heal. I would say uh, it's another way to heal. It gives energy. Um, th- this is also a very thing that was in the New England of medicine, which is a big, big a journal of medicine. And they said that this, the variation of music and rhythms that you can f- find in some uh, classical music gives better feeling of being and uh, giving a better immunity. They had studied that with uh, different biomarkers and things like that and music. So, yeah, I think that more and more you, uh, we can uh, and we will discover uh, the influence of these things that gives you well-being and music is one of these things and uh, which will make you uh, do some hormones and uh, endorphins maybe and uh, other things which will uh, give you better immunity uh, for your life. I will just point to, to this film of John, uh, Jim Jarmusch, uh, Coffee and Cigarettes, and I didn't... I, I love Jarmusch. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and he uh, he speaks a lot about med- music and medicine, starting with Tom Waits, who, who was a medical uh, student. Uh, uh, he studied until the fifth years, I think. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you remember this part of his film uh, where he said, yeah, but you know, I'm a doctor. Uh, I went to rescue this guy who had a cardiac arrest or something uh, that was uh, in one of the parts of the the, the movie. Uh-huh. And they, they speak with about medicine and music and African uh, music. That, that was that touched me, but I didn't uh, know what is behind this. I, I should we should ask Jim Jones. Sometime. I have to ask about your music. I, I, you know, honestly, I haven't heard that much about Persian jazz until I started listening to you. How, how do you, for someone who doesn't know what Persian jazz is or what it means, what, how do you describe it? Oh yeah, actually, music is music, and um, what we try to to a bit uh, calling this uh, Persian jazz. Uh, that was also a conversation we had a little bit with Mahan Mir Arab, who's a very good guitarist who lives in Vienna of Persian descent, he's Iranian. And he does uh, this mixture of melodies of different Iranian traditions or folklores mixed with the harmonies of jazz. Uh, that can be this kind of thing, mm. that can be some uh, words, Persian words uh, coming into uh, some uh, other jazz settings that would be maybe Simon Samawati somehow uh, who is also in Germany doing this kind of music and uh, that can be also the rhythms of the music uh, which is uh, you know in the Iranian rhythms you have seven uh, bits you have five bits you have nine bits you have uh, yep. 11 bits yep. and uh, this uh, kind of bit sometimes with it is down uh, very intellectually, it doesn't sound very na- natural, but when you listen it to in Iranian in, 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 uh, yes. Persian music or also Afghan music, you have a lot of that. Uh, it's really natural yes. and it's like, uh, you yes. know, the melody 
yeah, it's like a river. Shia's got a little bit of your your music queued up here. That an example of of uh, Arshida Azarin doing Persian jazz. Take a take a listen to this. That's Arshida Azarin on the piano there. Uh, t- tell us about that recording. Tell us about what you're doing there and, and how that relates to Persian jazz. <laughs> yeah. uh, in this piece, which is uh, called Yekibud, Yeki, Yekibud, Yonabud, I- I'm doing different uh, kind of approach with this Persian tradition. So you have the rhythm, which is elephant. Then you have different melodies at the beginning, which are, are more Persian. And at the end, you have this dance rhythm, uh, uh, actually the real rhythm of uh, Iranian dance, which was a little clandoy, kind of uh, like a joke, <laughs> to to put this six eight dance music that we we love of it a lot when we try to do uh, uh, some um, serious music. Uh, we we say yeah, you know six eight Iranian six eight for dance. And I wanted mm-hmm. to to put it inside this music, saying that well, every every music is music. I mean, there's no serious music and not serious music. And uh, but uh, you have this rhythm of dance, which really gives, I would say, this joy of being <laughs> Iranian with uh, different chords and harmonies, which are more jazz uh, and uh, 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 we call that also. Uh, um, sorry. Are you hearing? We have people uh, at the windows applauding the. Oh, is that the people? Yeah. Oh, they're clapping for the the the, the medical workers. Yeah. These are the people who are applauding the medical staff here. Wow! So that's for you. Uh, oh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's incredible! Right now, what a great moment to. Can can you set the scene? Where are you? Are you you're in an, in in a in a house in an apartment in Paris? Yes, I'm uh, in the kitchen. Uh, uh, at my window, actually, uh, it's not very far from the Tour Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. And uh, yeah. every um, every night at eight p.m., people uh, applaud the to to say thank you to the medical staff. Actually. In the, wow. the hospitals. So uh, the first days when I was coming back at uh, about eight, when I saw that, it really, it, it really gives you energy. Actually, when you you have had a hard time uh, during the day. That's amazing. What fortuitous timing for us to be able to hear that. And and kudos to you. You deserve those applause. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. So maybe I uh, just finished my, uh, as you said, um, you, you can really discuss this Persian jazz thing, but, you know, we are in a world, uh, the producers want some etiquette 
want to give you uh, some marketing thing. So this person jazz is a good thing also to distinguish <laughs> right. you. Sorry, I, I bought into the the marketing <laughs> to use the term, but it but it was curious. I was kind of like, well, what is Persian? I mean, it does make sense. Your place basically. The funny thing about about jazz, for in my uh, experience and and getting to have the good fortune to meet some great jazz players and stuff, is it can really be anything. I mean, it, it, it is expansive. So Persian jazz is kind of it is a funny sort of uh, denomination to sort of call something that. But it was enjoyable to hear what you describe it as. Um, Arshid, you're you're also deeply involved in trying to bring, in your musical projects, to bring together Iranians across the diaspora. This makes you so perfect for this program. Your, Your latest album, Sing Me a Song, for this album, you assembled 16 musicians from London, from Vienna, from Tehran, from Los Angeles. What is the message of the record? What did you want to do this for? And specifically how it relates to the Iranian diaspora around the world? Yes, I wanted to find back this unity of being together again with different generations. Uh, we all went in uh, different uh, countries at different moments before the revolution, after the revolution. So we, we had different ways of diaspora coming out of Iran. And we have developed different sensitivities in the uh, different neighborhood that we are living in. That gives also an interesting cu- cultural thing. Uh, even if I wonder if we, everybody comes back, which language we will speak together. <laughs> but, uh, mm. but musically, it gives a lot of different sensitivity, which is quite uh, interesting. And uh, another point which was interesting for me is that during some years, after the revolution, it was not very easy to produce music in Iran. And uh, a lot of this music was coming from abroad and maybe uh, mostly from Angeles or Los Angeles. This uh, gave kind of a particular cultural kind of music from there. And then suddenly when it was easier to produce music in Iran, uh, Persian music and traditional music uh, developed, uh, was developed a lot uh, at the beginning. And uh, little by little, we had also the influence of the, this uh, Persian music coming from abroad, uh, going uh, inside and evolving uh, during uh, years and making a mix in the young generation that we see here, which is very amazing. And it's like a fresh uh, air and like a boomerang. It comes back now uh, from Tehran to wow. us and giving us this new uh, Persian music uh, with this new generation who has kind of mixed naturally this evolution of traditional music with these other musics coming from the rest of the world. And I wanted to make and encounter these different people who have done this different kind of uh, Persian music together from London, Paris, Los Angeles, and Tehran in a unique project. You know, this this global Iranian community, the diaspora, in some ways, uh, it's, it's sad because we are very divided in some ways, uh, politically, um, geographically in some cases. Uh, uh, there's different sort of uh, indigenous versions of, of the Iranian communities that vary from place to place. The, the London Iranian community, the, the Tehran community, the Toronto community. Uh, 
And but then there's these markers of how and I really do believe culturally is how we find our we can find our unity, uh, whether it's family values or kebab or or um, the way we treat each other or some of the traditions uh, in, in poetry, et cetera. And, and I've got to think music is part of that. And is that what you're getting at? When you talk about unity? Exactly, yes, yes. Between people who don't speak uh, the same language, uh, music is uh, a very good way to communicate. So, and also in the Iranian diaspora, it's also maybe the best way to try to get together and try to, to be as one. Actually, the, the project was uh, recorded in different places at the beginning, but uh, finally we we could really just uh, do this concert in the last November in Paris and, uh, where everybody moved from the country and uh, they met each other for the first time actually in November all together doing this uh, concert. We've, I've kept you a long time. I, I, I can't keep you any longer, I know, I, I, but I am truly in awe of all that you're doing right now as a doctor, as a frontline worker, as an inspirational recording artist, as someone who's initiated kids' charities. Uh, let me ask you one more simple question, uh, and that is what motivates you to do all of this. I mean, even as we were preparing for this interview, you were kindly texting me back at 2 a.m. your time to send me clips of your favorite songs. Where is the desire to do so much in you? Where, where does that come from in Arshid Azarin? Um, uh, <laughs> nice question. Uh, uh, do you know Boris Vian? He's a French writer, Boris Vian, who has uh, written uh, some of the best books of French literature. He was a trumpet jazz player, a songwriter, Oh yeah, he was a mathematician. Uh, he has done uh, this. Uh, I was I don't know if it was telecom or pol- uh, polytechnic, which is high-end uh, engineering school in uh, France. So uh, for me, it was uh, as I was young, a kind of example. And he, he has this poem where he says it's a very nice poem. I, I want to do that, to, to do that, to do that, to do that, to do that, and uh, at the end, it's before to die. And maybe it's this uh, being afraid, actually, to not to have done what I love to do before dying. Maybe it's that, I don't know. But mm-hmm. the thing is that I'm doing uh, uh, what I love. Actually, I love both. I mean, it's real passion about the both things. It was maybe hard, actually, uh, to access to a point where I can release these two dreams. But uh, it takes time. Uh, you find a lot of people who would uh, would say to you, you have to choose or not to do that, not to do that. Uh, you have you will find more people uh, actually to who try to stop you. But uh, I think that when you lost something, you have to do it and don't uh, ask questions to yourself. I want to go out today on a beautiful piece of music you did recently with uh, Roya Arab called Hidden Hell. What can you tell us about it? Oh, Roya, uh, I met her in Tehran. She's, uh, she's living in London. Uh, she was the first singer of the group Archive, which is world now. It's funny, we are neighbors here, but we, didn't, we never met here. And uh, we met once in, uh, we were both in Tehran. Uh, this, uh, the title of the song is Hidden Hell, which is quite appropriate of the 
situation that we are living in right now uh, with this uh, kind of hell uh, which is uh, happening in the hospitals uh, with uh, a lot of uh, patients in the ICUs, a lot of deaths, but uh, all this all this is hidden. And um, uh, well, I hope you will like this song. Arshi Dazarin, thank you. Thank you for your um, your work on the front lines. Thank you for your inspirational work in music. Thank you for your humanitarian work. Please stay safe. We need you, okay? Thanks for doing this today. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation. It was nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Arshid Azarin. He's a doctor. He's a musician. He's a humanitarian. He joined me from Paris, France today. Sun comes up And we lay down Slumbering high Till nightfall come Close the door Come lay by my side place of late return silver line purse and less pleasure to pay hidden hell we made top of the Arshid Azarin, the song Hidden Hell from his latest recording. That's him doing, arranging the music and on piano. And this track features Roya Arab on vocals and lyrics. This is full time for Rook today. Remember, you can email us at info at rookmedia.com. Subscribe on any of our platforms. Thank you so much to the amazing little Rook team. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Mizun Bashin.
Girls and shame, girls and shame, girls and shame. 